Welcome to 15 Minute Fundamentals, where we break down crypto projects and learn about the drivers behind the data you see on our charts. Today, I'm joined by Michael Bentley from Euler, an non-custodial lending protocol that allows users to lend and borrow almost any crypto asset. Hey, Michael, welcome to 15 Minute Fundamentals. It's great to have you on. Hi, Scary. Thanks very much for having me. To kick things off, could you give us a quick intro to Euler? Yeah, sure. So Euler is um, a DeFi lending on bo and borrowing protocol uh, on the Ethereum network. Uh, it allows users to uh, to deposit uh, ERC-20 tokens into the protocol and lend those out to the borrowers. Um, like other lending and borrowing protocols in DeFi, it's over-collateralized lending. So uh, the borrowers uh, taking assets out of the protocol uh, typically have to put more money in uh, through lending first, in the, in the first instance through collateral before they can take assets out. And um, a lot of the lenders uh, are people seeking to earn passive sort of income from their assets. And a lot of the borrowers tend to be uh, more sort of active, act, uh, advanced users in DeFi, I suppose. Um, they are out there trading and, and able to, to generate profits from their borrowing activities. So that's how um, that's how the protocol works. The borrowers tend to, to make some money from borrowing and then pay a portion of the, their profits back to the lenders. Great. And you already explained the cash flows too. So we have the typical lending protocol business model where borrowers pay interest to lenders and we see that as supply side revenue. And then a portion of the total fees paid goes to the protocol's treasury uh, as protocol revenue, which we'll discuss in more detail. But before that, uh, could you explain the main differentiators between Euler and other lending protocols? So uh, we, we have a lot of differentiators actually. I would advise anyone looking at this to check out our white paper on docs.euler.finance but one of the one of the key differentiators i guess that we started with at euler was um when we first uh, developed the protocol we were looking at protocols like compound and Aave, which were kind of acting as as gatekeepers to what people could lend or borrow uh, on ethereum at the time so they were only listing a small number of assets and so one of the differentiators on Euler, on Euler is that we allow people to lend and borrow almost any any erc20 token and so it's permissionless listing of assets uh, and what enables us to do that is that we we actually build on top of Uniswap v3 as a kind of core Oracle protocol. Um, uh, and that facilitates people to be able to activate the own, their own markets and then manage um, manage their own lending and borrowing facilities. But we do have another a, a number of other differentiators as well. And I think perhaps um, the fact that we're a protocol that supports the long tail is not even our biggest feature. Um, the one I'm most proud of, of developing, I think, on Euler is the way that we manage risks um, and improve capital efficiency relative to other lending protocols. So we have a, a, a kind of popular uh, liquidation engine on Euler, which means that borrowers that, that do get liquidated end up uh, actually paying a lot less than in the way of bonuses to, to the liquidators than they would otherwise on other lending protocols. Um, and that's really important because a lot of the a lot of the really big borrowers on, on Compound and Aave, they're taking out you know millions of dollars worth of loans. Um, if they're if they're going to get liquidated, they don't really want to be paying five or ten percent of a bonus uh, from their collateral to um, yeah to liquidators. And so what they'll typically do is just over collateralize a lot more to avoid liquidation altogether. And ultimately, that lowers capital efficiency across um, across those protocols and of course across the wider DeFi ecosystem that depends on them. So on Euler, uh, by reducing the bonus that's paid by large borrowers and the active traders and so on in DeFi, you actually massively increase capital efficiency on the protocol. And, the, and finally, I think it's worth highlighting that we were one of the first protocols to innovate on the on the way that interest rates are set in, in lending protocols. And so we have a, a kind of reactive interest rate mechanism, which I know is now 
talked about a lot in DeFi, but um, we developed this um, a couple of years back as a way to so, uh, set interest rates in a decentralized way using something called control theory. So Yeah, great overview. I'll make sure to add a link to your docs uh, into the show notes for anyone interested in learning more. But back to the key metrics chart, uh, I'd like to look at protocol revenue in a bit more detail and uh, have you kind of break that down and talk us through your approach to managing the protocol's reserves. A lot of the way that lending, generalized sort of overclassified lending protocol, protocols work is that they will take a, a portion of the interest paid by borrowers and rather than hand that back to lenders, they'll keep that within the protocol. Now, the primary purpose uh, of, the, of these so-called reserves is to actually backstop the protocol's lenders. Um, from time to time, some people will end up in a position where they can't repay their debts and that leads to something called bad debt on a protocol. And if bad debt spreads too widely, then lenders get nervous that they might be left holding a, a kind of a bag of bad debt at the end when they want to withdraw. So they then withdraw and then that leads to a kind of spiraling um, where lenders are kind of front running one another to withdraw and you end up um, with a bank run on your hands. So the primary purpose of reserves is actually to um, to be there to grow faster, faster than bad debt accumulates on a protocol. Um, and so on Euler, we think it's really important to generate reserves at the start when the protocol's in its kind of infancy um, so that you can then essentially accommodate more lenders on the protocol. If if you're a lender wanting to deposit 100 million into Euler today and you see there's no reserves, then that make you might make you more nervous that you might end up being held, left with some bad debt uh, to hold in, you know, in six months' time. So the more that you can accumulate reserves, the more a, pro- a lending protocol can uh, accommodate more lending. And so you get these kind of cycling effects. Um, on Euler, we do a few things differently to compound an RFA with respect to how reserves grow and generally how they work. So the reserves uh, on, on Euler are perpetually sort of reinvested back into the protocol itself. And so they earn compound interest and grow exponentially over time. Whilst the protocol's in its growing phases as well, we also set a, a higher reserve factor on Euler, which means that roughly a quarter of the interest paid actually goes back to the protocol and not back to the lenders. Obviously, there's trade-offs there. You, uh, The more that you give back to lenders, perhaps the more they would come to the protocol. But ultimately, then you have this other problem with lenders being nervous about... Um, nervous about bank runs and things so there's definitely a, a sweet spot that, that i guess protocols try to hit ultimately uh, there's another mechanism as well on oil that, that tops up reserves which is through liquidations um because of the aforementioned method we use to to set the liquidation bonus which works through a kind of dutch auction mechanism actually we allow the uh the the liquidator to repay more um more of a loan than they actually need to so if they need to pay a hundred dollars worth of USDC, they'll actually end up paying $102 worth of USDC on the loaned asset. And that two, that extra $2 goes back to the protocol reserves. Um, and that's important because it means that when uh, the market's turbulent and you know liquidations tend to be flying around a lot more, it means that the most volatile assets on the market, which are triggering those liquidations um, and leading to borrowers being in these sort of awkward positions those types of assets are actually their their reserves are growing faster than um, the reserves of more stable assets on the protocol and ultimately that means that those lenders can actually be more confident about lending in the future if you're lending something that's volatile then you should probably be more nervous about um, in the future being left holding some bad debt so there's um, yeah two mechanisms there by which the protocol reserves grow and, and hopefully grow exponentially so that they can accommodate more lending in the future got it and regarding growth, you're for sure on a good trajectory at the moment. The first few months after launch were pretty stable. But since around March this year, 
you've seen a really nice spike in growth. Can you share the drivers behind this? Yeah, let me let me take you through them. So firstly, when we launched, uh, we launched back in December. And the first thing we did was we wanted to launch in a really sort of risk averse mode. We didn't want, uh, and I know sometimes it's popular to launch a protocol to great fanfare and have people aping in, but the protocol is extremely um, in, a, in a nascent state uh, when it first launches and there's lots of risks involved and we didn't want to expose anybody using oil to extreme risks. So uh, we launched with just three collateral assets and required everyone to over collateralize by 4x on launch. So clearly not the kind of um, rates, uh, you know, like capital efficiency that you'd expect to see and hope to see from a DeFi protocol, but ultimately that was there to keep, keep users safe. Um, as we as we approached the new year, um, we started to demonstrate how governance proposals might work in the future to relax some of the constraints on the protocol to improve capital efficiency and therefore allow more borrowing. So we started to um, illustrate how a, a proposal looks like to uh, promote an, an asset to a, a collateral tier. And we'll talk about the tiers later. But yeah, we added new uh, collateral assets to the protocol, including Rap Bitcoin, Uni and Link. Um, and there'll be presumably more assets added as collateral types in the future. And we also started to uh, re relax some of those really aggressive constraints we placed on, on capital efficiency as well, so allowing people to uh, borrow against their assets um, with a lot lower um, ratios in terms of collateral factors and things. So, yeah, I think that's part of it. And then the, um, the other aspect here is that we uh, will soon be launching a, a governance token called OIL, uh, that will help manage the protocol uh, and take charge of um, voting on some of these kinds of proposals that we've demonstrated already through the governance module. Uh, and we started actually allocating uh, oil through a distribution scheme to users of the protocol uh, in March once we'd, we'd grown confident enough that the protocol was working as intended. So actually there's, uh, yeah, you can... Uh, come to Euler now, and if you're borrowing on the protocol, then uh, you'll receive a distribution of oil on if you're borrowing on some of the key markets. And of course, we know um, that the main purpose of the token here is to, is of course to to distribute this back to ordinary users. But of course, it it does tend to have these things we know have a stimulating effect on some markets as well. So I think we can see that on the charts there probably as well. Yeah, for sure. So adding collateral assets, improving capital efficiency, and then. Uh pinch of token incentives. It's a good recipe for growth right there. Now, on the subject of tokens, um, what's the current status of the oil token launch and your transition to decentralized governance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've, we were hoping to have it out about now. Um, of course, it takes a little time to set these things up in the background. So one thing that's been underway is the establishment of an oil foundation. Uh, the purpose of the foundation will be uh, to, to aid the DAO in its activities in the future. So if the DAO wants to uh, distribute a grant to uh, somebody to work on the protocol, for instance, then the foundation will be there as a kind of public face to represent the DAO in those uh, contractual agreements and so on. So I think uh, we're seeing more and more that the foundation sort of model is quite popular among DeFi, and we, we felt like that was a really good model to to take on board but it's um yeah everyone's very busy at the moment um including all the the lawyers and the, the kind of people that needed you need in place to set these things up so it's it has taken a little while but we're hopeful that um in the coming weeks i think that things will uh, change there and we'll be able to unlock the token and start to to decentralize things so that rather than us taking 
you know, control of uh, decision making, actually the protocols users will start to uh, have a say in that. And um, yeah, it will be a, a, a process like a lot of the, uh, protocols are followed is progressive decentralization. So I think unfortunately we will be relying on the on the old multi-sig to control things for a little while longer. But in the long run, I've been really impressed with the way that Compound, um, you know, progress their decentralization. I think we'll probably follow a similar model uh, to that, so we'll be looking to to move to full decentralization, hopefully um, sometime this year. Then on onto composition. If we look at your borrowing volume, we can see that it's it's very similar to what we'd see on other lending protocols like Compound and Aave, where stable coins and wrapped ether make up the majority of it as one of your goals is to allow users to create lending markets in a permissionless manner to unlock the long tail of crypto assets i wanted to ask what your thoughts are on the similarity in composition and whether you see a clear demand for lending and borrowing the long tail of crypto assets or not um yeah good question i think uh in general we'll always see a heavy bias towards the probably the top five assets actually those assets make up by market cap i think something like 60% of the um, the total volume that you're likely to see anyway. So you will always see a kind of exponential distribution there in terms of just the main assets making up the bulk of the volume through a lending protocol. Um, is there demand for long tail lending and borrowing? Um, right now, frankly, I'm not sure that there's a massive demand for that. Um, I think there's a few reasons for this though. Firstly, it hasn't a protocol hasn't really existed that enables this in a capital efficient way before. So there's the market just is still in a quite immature state with regard to that. Um, so a lot of the, the the pros who tend to be borrowing assets, as we've said, um, a lot of the time they're actually using assets for leverage and so on. And leveraging longer tail assets is certainly a lot harder and it requires less capital efficiency. And a lot of those those kind of traders aren't necessarily doing this yet. On Euler, you can uh, natively uh, go long or short on assets. We have a function for this in the, in the quick quick action menu that people can use. And so I know that there are, there are plenty of people out there that still don't realize that, that this functionality exists on Euler and that they can come and actually do sort of leveraged uh, long and short positions through through the protocol. So I think in the long run, that might become more popular as people start to experiment with it. But I don't think you'll ever see the same demand for lending on borrowing because you you can't the, the those assets in their very nature are uh, volatile and um, sometimes more illiquid and that that actually lowers capital efficiency so yeah i think the, the the use cases are definitely more niche and for that reason you'll always see less demand for for lending and borrowing long tail assets um i don't think that's really what Euler is set up to uh, i mean we whilst we offer that functionality i don't think it's our our reason for being, I, I think that actually it's it's nice to support that because for for more philosophical reasons, we're a permissionless protocol and and we want to support a decentralized ecosystem. Um, if you're a lender, you know maybe a retail trader, and you hold a, a basket of five or ten assets, uh, you have the option to essentially hunt around DeFi and try to find homes for each of those to try to earn yield. In the long run, I suspect if you can. Um, if you can just come to Euler, uh, you can do all of that in one place. Uh, and so, like a lot of companies in the in traditional finance, will set up to try to uh, encourage users by offering home insurance and car insurance and banking and so on. I think I, I can kind of see Euler becoming a one-stop shop there. And so, there are uh, auxiliary benefits to having long-tail assets without there being necessarily enormous demand for, say, shorting. Uh, 
you know, MKR token or whatever. And then on risk management, uh, in the beginning, you mentioned you're proud of your unique approach to this uh, via asset tiers and other mechanisms. Could you walk us through this approach in more detail? Yeah, sure. There's lo- lots of different um, mechanisms and tweaks to, to the kind of classic model that enable risk to be managed. One of the simplest things I think that we implemented right from the start was the, the concept of a borrow factor. If you're, um, I'll tell you why this is important. If you're lending and borrowing on, on Compound Arave right now and you, you deposit, say, some USDC, and then you, you have two options. You could depo- uh, borrow some DAI or borrow something that's more volatile, like chain, like Link, for instance. Um, actually, the, the amount you can borrow, your borrowing power is largely determined by what you've deposited as collateral, not by what you're borrowing. Um, and that doesn't really make any sense because ultimately the DAI to... Um, the DAI to USDC loan is um, is much less risky than the link to USDC loan. Obviously, link can go up in, in, in price and it can move sometimes very quickly and that exposes to lenders to risk and so on. Um, and so actually, the, the collateralization ratios that you use for those two different types of assets should depend not just on what you're using as collateral, but also on what you're borrowing. Um, and when you do this, you enable, by introducing borrow factors that account for that volatility on the borrowing side as well, um, when you do this, you can actually raise capital efficiency across the entire protocol. And the reason for that is that on, on Compound, for instance, your the collateral factors of every asset are somewhat constrained by the by the protocol's um, sort of most volatile asset, the lowest common denominator. It helps determine what the highest collateral factor can be, um, even for something like USDC. So um, introducing borrow factors is something I think every protocol needs to have if you if you're supporting a, a variety of different types of assets from collateral to a liquid. So we did that. We also have uh, asset tiers where uh, what you can do with assets depend on what tier they're in. So we have collateral tiers where things can be used for lending, borrowing, uh, and collateral. We have cross borrowing tiers where things can be used for cross margin trading, essentially just borrowing multiple assets against a single collateral type. Um, and then we have a, our kind of um, least risky tier, which is the isolation tier, where things can only be used for isolated margin trading and borrowing. Uh, and there, if you take out a borrow of, of Link, um, you can use any types of collateral you want. You could use four or five different types of collateral, but you can only borrow Link from that one account. Um, so that's that helps protect um, that helps protect lenders from the risks of, of liquidations cascades firing off from people's accounts leaving some markets with bad debt um, now obviously having having being able to only borrow one thing from one account would be a bit painful if you had to use a, a single metamask account for this you had to keep moving creating new accounts and um, moving collateral between them and so on so on um, for this reason on Euler we, we in, uh, invented a um, a new system to have sub accounts essentially all all generated from a single ethereum uh, address so you can deposit your collateral to a single ethereum address and then you can essentially isolated margin trade using uh, sub account sub accounts that are native to that address on chain um, much like you can do isolated margin trading in binance you can now that, do that in DeFi through euler uh, in an over collateralized way so those, those accounts as well are really useful for risk management like if you don't want to if you want to take out multiple borrowers even if they're not they're not necessarily forced to be uh, separate from one another you might want to do that just because it's prudent to um, yeah, to separate the collateral uh, for, for different types of loans. One one final question: What's next for Euler? Yeah, I think there's there's um, 
there's lots of things coming up um, that, that, I mean, as we start to decentralize, we hope that other people will start, you know, contributing as well to this ecosystem. But um, some of the things that, that we're working on at the moment are, include thinking about uh, support for different Oracle types, thinking about support for layer twos and other networks potentially, um, thinking about um, lots of integrations with other protocols. And one of the things that I'm, I'm really interested in at the moment is options as well and the extent to which um, you know Euler can support options uh, trading in, in DeFi as well. I think uh, Guillaume Lambert has written a lot about this um, and has his own plans for, for an options protocol but I think by combining Uniswap and, and something like Euler you can generate a really powerful uh, options uh, capability on chain which would be very exciting. Really looking forward to see how those things develop and the transition to decentralized governance as well. Thanks Michael. Thanks very much. Cheers.